I'm Eric Bricker, and I've been a psychotherapist for over 25 years. One thing I can tell you for certain is that no one makes it through life unscathed. At some point, many of us will rely on the trusted counsel of another person to help us navigate difficult times, or to reconcile the troubled past. Whether conventional or unconventional, professional or informal, there are a lot of different forms that helping relationships can take. This podcast is an exploration into what makes these relationships work. Who are the people that help us? How do they help us? And what do people need help with? My hope is to uncover as much as I can about this very human phenomenon, and I hope that you'll join me. This is the Good Counsel Podcast. Hello, everybody. I'm Eric Bricker, and this is the Good Counsel Podcast. I am joined today by my friend and mentor, Robert North. I met Robert in around 2005. I was working for the Seminole Tribe of Florida. At that time, I was employed by the Family Services Department, and I was the Youth Prevention Administrator. And Robert was in the process of founding the Seminole Tribe of Florida's Boys and Girls Club, and he's he's the director of it. And in that process, being new to working with a Native American tribe, I was pretty lost, I would have to say. And when you're coming into a culture that's you're unfamiliar with, it's real easy to make a lot of mistakes, despite your best intentions. And to be ineffective if you're not attuned culturally to the community that's around you. And Robert was really the person who kind of took me under his wing in a way and showed me around and explained how things worked and, you know, kind of functioned as a leader of this committee that we worked together to put on and, and to do a lot of like really cool programming for the youth. And I just have uh, such a high regard for him, and we've experienced a lot of things together and uh, over the years gotten to know him and his, his family. And so I was really uh, grateful that Robert was willing to come in and take the time today to uh, speak to all of us for a little bit about his experiences working with Native American communities and sharing a little bit from his own very rich and interesting life. So, Robert, welcome. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure and a blessing to be here and to uh, have had your friendship going uh, coming up on almost twenty years. We've we've come a long ways. I am uh, from the Winnebago tribe, enrolled in the Winnebago tribe of Nebraska, and I'm also from the uh, White Earth Ojibwe and uh, from uh, Minnesota. My Winnebago name is Wanahile Hunka, which is uh, directly translated man in the place of f- fear. Uh, it could be translated many different ways. But And um, when uh, Eric asked me if I wanted to, to uh, join this podcast, kind of start thinking about and reflecting what what I've done or what I've been doing. Most, most of uh, my life, it's just about getting things done. Yeah, I work entirely with Native youth in many different capacities besides my my job with 
uh, with the Seminole tribe. I was I was telling Eric that when I was uh, my last year of high school, my mother got me a uh, a job at what could be considered a Indian camp, educational camp, but this was one for Native youth. That's kind of what got me started in terms of working with Native youth. I worked with an elder, probably about an 85-year-old uh, Indian lady who had a vast knowledge and good sense of humor and then other Native staff. And the youth were Native from the city, and so we were charged with the uh, idea of showing them how being an Indian is. And it was very, uh, seemed initially kind of bizarre, but they grew up in a San Jose Bay area. And so they didn't, they hadn't spent any time on quote unquote Indian land or reservation land. Really what retrospectively that was a precursor to almost every prevention or youth project uh, or program that I was a part of or put together because early on I learned what you can do, what you can do with Native culture and what you can do with youth. And you can have fun and be learning at the same time. That's that's really important for all youth. But uh, in my case, my specialty is Native youth. The other thing that was Extremely motivating for me was my mother, who became an elder, a very well-educated elder in, in the uh, vast California Indian communities. She never got paid for anything that she did, but she helped out in Indian communities for uh, probably about 20 years. And she spent about six months being a school teacher on uh, Alcatraz during the um, Indian takeover, 1968-69. So all those things were uh, very uh, stimulating for a young lad as as I was. But again, it was this idea that uh, I saw what what you could do, and uh, that inspired me and helped me out, you know, going out on my own, working with my wife, and in fact, uh, it was my wife and, and the council, tribal council, that began the Seminole Tribe of Florida Boys and Girls Clubs. And without their support, we would have not prospered. But we've got uh, uh, four clubs now. We started with one, and we have four. The Seminole Tribe of Florida land base, there's six separate and individual reservations or land base small two bigger ones like over 300 acres and so we we service four of those reservations and each each of our clubs is distinct but similar in many ways having to administrate or administer uh four clubs it's a task especially when they're so far apart but we, we're doing well i have a very good staff Another idea that came to me was why why Boys and Girls Club of America? And uh, without spending a whole lot of money and time and effort in putting rewriting the book or reinventing the wheel, the collective thought 
within the the tribal administration was that Boys and Girls Clubs of America had enough curriculum and already prepared manuals and particularly safety manuals and safety initiatives. And so it it thus far has been a a, a good fit for not just a Seminole tribe, but uh, native tribes throughout the country and uh, Hawaii and American Samoa. Those are the indigenous clubs, uh, but there's boys and girls clubs all over the world because they're at many of the uh, military installations. Well, thank you for that. I I was actually going to ask you, because you could have taken it in a lot of different directions, right? You could have done a lot of different types of youth initiatives. And I was curious at a time, I guess, why it was the boys and girls clubs, but I think you explained that. So when you take on something like this and you sort of systematically develop this programming and then expand it onto other reservations within the tribe, what ultimately is the goal? Like, what do you hope to accomplish with the boys and girls clubs? Uh, Some real basic parameters. Kids need to have fun. Uh, It's very important to put youth of all races in in some kind of a collective classroom. And it's not the classroom that we think of when it relates to school. Our classroom within Boys and Girls Clubs could be outside. It could be in a computer lab. It can be all things creative. So unfortunately, uh, in my life, resources have been cut in schools, most schools specifically public, but also other schools, in art, in theater, uh, music, uh, PE. (laughs) There's just a lot of things that have been cut. Boys and Girls Clubs of America has been around for a long time, but in the last 20 years, definitely we're rounding out a young person's day. And uh, they're not latchkey kids. They have some place to go, not just any place but a, a safe place, you know, proper supervision. Then we have a prepared curriculum, also nutrition. A lot of kids are starving. They're not getting fed. I, I applaud the schools that are uh, providing breakfast in the morning, you know, for free, because obviously breakfast is the most important meal of the day, particularly for kids. We started out saying, well, we're going to build some clubs but in terms of where we are now, I never imagined we'd get this far. We have one brick-and-mortar club in Hollywood Reservation that, uh, you know, it's composite, including recreation and culture in the, all in the same building with Boys and Girls Clubs. We are constantly collaborating with other uh, departments within the tribe. And then we have a, a brand-new club going up in what's called the Brighton Reservation. And that should be open either uh, December of 2023 or January 2024. And that's a lot of commitment coming from the community, a lot of support from the parents. And the tribal council is is funding these this and many more uh, types of construction for the communities you know, from from the tribal coffer. So we'd like to think that 
we're helping to build well-rounded youth and youth that can survive, not just survive, but prosper anywhere, not just on the reservation, but anywhere they go. They can go to any school. Had opportunities where uh, former uh, club members come to me and, and want to talk to me. There are too many to tell about all of them, but just for example, a young man came up to me during a, uh, it was a cultural exchange, and I got there early by mistake, but I guess it was meant to be because we ended up talking for about 45 minutes. And one of the, th- he did, a, he's done a lot, but one of the things that uh, kind of blew me away is he said, Robert, you remember when I told you I wanted to go to Japan? I said, yeah. He goes, I went. He said, I spent about a month over there and I had a blast. And I think we spent a, uh, quite a bit of time with him. And he was, you know, when he was younger, when he first came to the club. And uh, you know, there was a lot of perhaps tough love, but apparently it worked. And it was the collective uh, group that really helped him build a sense of identity and and a community sense of uh, community and, and and feeling comfortable you know within his own skin but also within his within the reservation boundaries and yet he he uh, he put his resources together and went to Japan that was huge and he's very active in the community uh, that's just one one person I feel that we you know, we're just like buddies helping each other out. Well, it's cool because now the program has been around long enough that you can really see the impact that it's had on youth that participate in these programs, some of whom I'm sure were very young at the time. When you and I were kind of preparing a little bit for this, you talked a bit about the importance of culture. Because I was asking you, I said, what what is most important dealing with Native American youth? Like what is sort of a goal there that maybe distinguishes this population from the same problems that the the larger culture have? And you talked about culture itself and this idea of individuality and identity. And I was wondering if you might be interested in talking a little bit more about that. Yeah, I'll just clarify that I speak with the authority that was given to me by my tribe's and I don't want to misconstrue that this applies to every tribe. But that being said, I've thought all my life about this, and I've been exposed to a lot of culture and, and cultures all over the world, a lot of indigenous cultures. And so I see, I see a lot of similarities, but I see a lot of differences. And that shouldn't be a problem in my mind. Culture is a very sacred thing, and it's passed down through the millennium. We as Native people have a very, very rich background and we have very rich lineage. And I've spent uh, all of my adult life searching so that I can have a better understanding of my culture and my relationship with my culture. And it wasn't until recently, it was probably 10 years ago, we grew up with a lot of uncles and aunts and grandparents and, and the cousins are like your brothers and sisters. And so uh, it can be a very, very intimate and uh, reinforcing component to a young person growing up. 
It certainly was for me. I also know what I didn't have. So perhaps, I can't tell you for sure, but perhaps I wanted to do what I could with any community because I've worked within other tribes so that they might have experiences either that I didn't have or that I had that I, I felt uh, still feel that need to be amplified. And so it, it's really uh, us as individuals learning how to define what we feel culture is because it's, it, it's really our spirit and, and nobody can define it for us. And a lot of people will try to define what, uh, what culture is. But in, uh, in my tribes, there's a certain way to attain that, that knowledge. And it, it, some of it's just hard knocks. Some of it is being, learning how to be respectful and listening. And then once you get those two things in gear, then people begin to come to you. I, I, I've been you know, so, so blessed to have been given knowledge that is just so valuable to me. And people within my own tribe or people from other tribes, and, you know, they, they, they look at me and I guess they feel that I'm cool. <laughs> so they begin to share things with me. And those are very, very sacred things that are more sacred and more valuable than money and resources and, you know, objects. You know, it's really important. All these things come under really one umbrella, you know, in terms of values and understanding why, you know, a relationship is more valuable than the Ferrari outside or the big house, you know, because, but that all comes under the umbrella of, of culture. So when I see what we wanted to do and then what we've actually accomplished under the, under the confines of our, what we're calling a, Boys and girls clubs, it works. And uh, at Seminole, the the culture is taught by the cultural department. You know, beyond that, it's a young person's initiative whether they want to learn the language and so on and so forth. But it, it, it's some pretty exciting stuff. This is a very complicated world we're living in. I think for everybody, and. With so much overexposure to so much different information uh, through the internet and social media and all these different sources, it's real easy, I think, to get lost in that. And that ultimately, I think people, all people, need help at times with a little bit of clarity about just identity. Who am I in the world? Where do I fit into all of this? And I wonder. When I was thinking about culture and the conversation that we had, and I think you kind of spoke to it, it's really that piece of it about understanding oneself. And I, I think it was kind of cool uh, the way that you phrased it because it sounds like there's that element of self-determination in it too. Like we're going to provide you with a really broad base of opportunities to learn about yourself, to learn about where you come from, to learn about the language of your ancestors, all these different things. But we're not going to ram it down your throat. You know, it's here. And if you want to, we're going to teach you about it. We're going to teach you why it's important. And if it's important enough to you, you'll take some initiative to like further your experience in it. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if that doesn't even create like a better buy-in among the young people. 
Yeah. Uh, the only way they could be forced is if the parents, and some parents do, they, they require them just to go to Boys and Girls Club no place else. And they won't let them, you know, once we have them, we instruct it by parents to keep them. But most of the youth come on their own volition. And who knows, you know, uh, I guess you could, yeah, I know the counselors sit down and talk to them and they'll tell you what their options are and, and, you know, why they made this decision, why they decided to come to Boys and Girls Club. But they, they also, you know, throughout the year, they have other options. They go on some pretty amazing um, field trips, you know, all over South Florida, you know, so there, there's a pretty big community involvement, you know, starting with the, the council and the council reps and they sponsor some amazing, you know, get togethers and holiday uh, fun. So the idea is, is really ultimately to communicate um, something else I was going to say that I noticed when we started the Boys and Girls Club is that in in the world today, most everything is designed for adults and adult consumption. And, you know, it comes in and out, in and out, but, but youth are usually left behind or are in second place or third place or whatever. The only time that they're looked at is something of value is when you can sell toys or sell, you know, fast food. Then they'll marketing strategy is to to tickle the youth and the youth tickles the parent and then the parent does the buying. But so that's something that I've seen long term and it, it's not a credo, but it's it's kind of like an agreement between the the staff of the boys and girls club and the youth once once the youth have been there a couple of days or a week or whatever they know what the drill is that uh, you know you can have fun but don't be destructive you know it just goes on and on but the most important thing is they know they're going to have fun and the fun that they have is on their terms it's not going to disney world or you know theme park it's just good old fashioned simple fun and while they're having that fun, they're learning rules of the game. And so back to what you said earlier, no, they they do these things out of their choice from the, the time they decide to, you know, spend the afternoon at the club or summer at the club as opposed to going out and doing something else and then getting into the curriculum, uh, just really being uh, stimulated and, and, it, and it's learning one of the things that we started doing during the summer, we do it during the year too, is is STEM programs and and uh, STEM curriculum. And uh, you know, I could get into that more later or whatever. But what well, to your point, one of the things that I recognized in even in the time that I spent there was that most of those young people seemed to be pretty happy to be there. They looked forward to it as part of the structure of their day. They come in with their backpacks, getting off the bus or whatever from school, come running up into the Boys and Girls Club. Hey, Mr. Robert, they want to tell you about whatever's going on with them. And uh, similar, I think, reaction to the other staff that work there. And 
a lot of times they looked very happy and having a good time doing what appeared to me relatively simple stuff. You know, simple young people's things, whether it's a video game or just playing outside or playing tag or throwing a ball around or some kind of team building thing with one of the counselors at the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, I think it seemed to me that they were really excited to be together and to be to have captured the interest of these adults who were very interested in them. And that seemed to me to be a huge reward. So to your point about young people often being like an afterthought in our more kind of commercialized society, for them to feel important, to, to feel seen, I think is such a huge thing. And I, I imagine that piece of your mission probably speaks to a lot of the success that you guys have. It's, it's the smart thing to do. It's the right thing to do. And it's the most economical uh, and worthwhile way for a community or a tribe to invest in the future. To me, working there, that message always came through from tribal government, from leadership. They all, like, it was every tribal leader, I think, or the ones that I had heard speak publicly, consistently, despite, like, all of our our assets and our um, success and these different things that we've accomplished in, in the world of business, our most important asset is the youth because they're the future of the tribe. They're what sustains our sovereignty, like all these different things. And uh, I think that everybody was pretty clear about that, that that was sort of like the tribal government's mission. And I think the investment into something like the Boys and Girls Club and the uh, priority of it, you know, consistently year after year and allowing it to prosper in the way that it did and, you know, all the support, I think it speaks to that. I think it speaks to the commitment. Like it's not having worked in there for 10 years. It was never a question to me that when these leaders said these things that they meant it. And uh, yeah, and I think ultimately, like you said, simply stated, it's the smart thing to do. There are times more in the past than, than presently that uh, parents would come to me with their teenage child, you know, what are we going to do with this? And, you know, it could be that they had a clean record. It could be that they, you know, they've already, you know, been approached by the law for whatever reason. And just for discussion's sake, you know, we talked earlier or mentioned prevention more on a wholesale scale <clears throat> The earlier, as you well know, the earlier you begin to intervene with youth, the more successful one will be in terms of positive outcomes. And I'd love to take all the credit <laughs> for all this, but when you break it down, and I, I have broken it down time and time again through through the years, is that one of the, the biggest components about positive change is youth spending organized time with other youth, and they actually learn more from each other 
than they learn from you know one counselor or you know even a whole host of counselors. And you know that's the microcosm. You know, say you know we have we have different age groups, five and six year olds. I don't know how anybody deals with that age group, but that age group is growing. It's the fastest growing of all of our age groups. We keep track of all of our attendance. And the, ne- the next one is the 11 to 17. But anyway, we've had youth come in for the first time. They, they may have grown up uh, you know, off the reservation and they decided to move back. And so they don't know, you know what's expected of them and, and start making trouble. And a lot of the time, it's not the counselors that correct them. It's other kids. And, you know, just simply put is that every day we're putting a carrot out in front of these little bunnies. And these little bunnies want to get to that carrot. You know, they learn quickly. Animals, people alike, we learn very quickly, both negative and positive. And so those those kids that have been a part of the Boys and Girls Club for, you know, years or months, they know that they're going to have there's something good to be had if everybody <laughs> if everybody behaves and we'll get there faster you know i've i've heard kids talk about it and you know we're going to get there faster <laughs> that's that's how you think when you're a kid you know but uh they're the ones that you know not in a bad way but in in a very supportive way you know get get these newbies in line and get them Encourage them to understand that there's something great to be had. You know, so I'm, I'm using analogies. One of the things we haven't really talked about is is the physical education. Every day, for 60 minutes, the youth are outside, or if it's raining, then they're inside. And we have the facilities now to uh, get them active, and then also we work closely with the health department with regards to nutrition and helping them better understand why it's important. You know, just those two components alone put years at the end of, you know, so many people's lives because they stayed active and they they understand the value or, you know, they get whatever it is, but also learning about good nutrition and why it's so important in it. Not just extending your life, but having a, a, a richer life because, you you know, you're not, clogged with with a lot of fat and understanding why so in 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 so many ways if if you diagram you know working organized programs to work with youth you know we don't talk about it much but it it it's saving the tribe millions and millions and millions of dollars because kids are, are have a higher likelihood of understanding things like good nutrition and and staying active and getting an idea of what they want when they're still young as opposed to waiting until they're ready to graduate and you say, son, you know, what are you going to do now? <laughs> it's, it's a little late. You got to get kids thinking early on. and They don't have to come up with concrete answers. They can have a different answer every single day. It just helps them learn what they, you know, have a better understanding of what what they like and what they don't like, not what so-and-so likes or, you know, big sister or teacher or whatever. It's just, you know, what do you want to do? Not too many people ask kids that, you know, what do you want to do? <laughs> yeah. No, I think, um, 
I think you said it in a pretty convincing way that giving them choice and giving them buy-in and ownership and some stewardship over the programs is part of the success because otherwise it's just another institution being imposed on these young people where the curriculums and the choices are made for them. And I think like anything else, if I don't have any input, I'm not going to have any sense of propriety or ownership over this thing. So what do you think the future holds? Where, where I know uh, you're a very forward-thinking guy and a planner. What direction are we looking to take this? Well, we're kind of living in the future right now because, as I said earlier, the tribe – <clears throat> the tribe built a, a brick and mortar uh, boys and girls club in Hollywood, and they uh, that was 2015. That that was a huge resource, but also on a, a yearly basis, they they support the the basic uh, employment and uh, activity funds, a lot of transportation because we have to travel from reservation to reservation. We're also looking at the tribe you know, building those new clubs. And so we kind of have a challenge in front of us because there's projection of more Seminole families coming back to reservations. And so we are already planning and projecting, you know, we're, we're we may double the uh, participation within the next five years because people are, uh, uh, families are already moving back. So, you know, we have to plan ahead for expansion. Even though, uh, you know, we do have the authority and, and, the, uh, and the resources to, to change things up, you know, uh, what we have in terms of curriculum is, is pretty solid. And I'm sure there'll be other opportunities for collaborations we recently got a, a private grant of which uh, explore and augment a lot of the uh, opportunities that uh, we weren't able to type it, uh, tap into it uh, until this past year. And we're just really pushing the arts and theater, music. At the uh, Big Cypress Reservation, they have a very, very strong music program within their within their school, which, you know, uh, we we plan on collaborating with them and working together. There, uh, <clears throat> There's a lot of arts that we want to continue to to promote, you know, within the youth, just trying to uh, encourage them to express themselves in a creative way, and uh, it seems to be working. Well, we know that that was... Uh that was always a popular kind of programmatic thing. And of course, I'm sure people are still talking about the success of the, uh, the hibiscus band. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and what I'm referencing is that, um, do, and this is one of my fondest memories of uh, working there was that my, myself, uh, you and your son, RC, Robert, Cloud North, who is here with us, um, that we played music together and we actually created 
sort of a backing band for a lot of these young kind of performers to take a shot at coming to the stage. And we did this talent show. And I think it really kind of pulled off for a lot of people. It created a lot of excitement around that uh, Red Ribbon Week that we did that. And we got to play and perform around the uh, the communities doing this with some of the youth. And that was a, a really fun time and a really exciting thing for me to be participating. I still think about it today and talk about it with people today, that experience. So it's kind of cool to see that these different things have evolved and taken on lives of their own with other people. And, and uh, that's, that's really exciting. Yeah, uh, from my perspective, it's been an explosion. It, it's not just me saying that, uh, but the proof is in the pudding, and we're very we're very proud of all all the youth, you know, uh, past, present, and future. But uh, <clears throat> picking up on what you were just talking about, uh, obviously, uh, Robert. Junior has gone on. He started out in the club uh, doing all kinds of stuff. He actually worked for the club for four years, uh, but in the meantime, got a film degree and a, a sound engineering degree, and he's producing and writing and doing his whole thing with his music. But there was a young lad back in the day whose name's Cameron Osceola who started uh, the Osceola brothers, which includes himself and, and his two brothers, and they are presently on tour throughout the state of Florida. And uh, that's that's pretty amazing. I, I played on a stage with Cameron and uh, you guys. Uh, a million years ago, and I would be surprised. I would not be surprised if he had no memory of this because a long time ago he was he was a, a young kid, you know, maybe like twelve or thirteen or something. But I remember it, and uh, he was a guitar player, and he had his his Stratocaster, and he came up, and we we're like, "Oh, what what do you want to play? What song do you want to play?" He's like, "I think I'll play Voodoo Child by Stevie Ray." I'm like, "What? You you play that?" And he's like, "Yeah, don't worry about it, guys. This is what you need to do." And uh. I'm just going to go ahead and handle it from here. And man, that kid could play. He was so young and so talented. And this is what, over like 10 years ago. So I, I can only imagine what, what they're doing now. And I know that his brothers, who were also, I think, part of that, even at that time, they were playing as well. Um, I know that they have formed this band and that they're touring and doing all kinds of stuff. It's, uh, it's very exciting. Yeah, the... the the key, I mean, it's it, it's not just youth; it's everybody. I mean, everybody's got their own talent, but sometimes it's hard to to retrieve that talent or understand what that talent is or feel good enough to share the talent. And so, we would do these, or we would provide on stage opportunities. <laughs> That's where, you know, we had the the house band, and it was. That was us. That was us, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's like, <laughs> so we would practice and practice, and that was something that the youth learned is that you got to practice, you got to, you know, you got to communicate. But everything was, you know, now you're on the stage. You know, you're not off 
in the distance or in the audience, you're on the stage. And so you got to make things happen and be responsible and serious. And um, as Eric said, uh, Cameron uh, came on the stage just very, very determined. And, you know, he began to bark off, you know, commands and saying, this is how I want it. He already knew what it was supposed to sound like. And that's, so that's all him, you know. And so as long as we are, you know, sensitive and smart enough, you know, we were able to, to provide that stage, which is really important for Cameron. And I don't know how many, you know, countless youth, but that's just, that's pretty much the formula in whatever we do, you know, whether it's an outside activity or, or uh, you know, a group activity, whatever it might be. But the youth needs to be immediately involved, immediately involved and take ownership. And, uh, you know, it might sound like a lot or too much, but, you know, the big elephant in the room that we keep dancing around is, is electronics. And it's, you know, you could say the same thing about money. Um, It's not, it's not the money that gets us in trouble. It's the love of money. And it's not the electronics that get us into trouble. When I say electronics, I mean like the the iPhones and cameras and all the TikTok stuff and everything. You know, it takes a lot of time and it's, it's, it's really, really wasted time, you know, for a young person growing up. And if they have an opportunity after school, hang out, in a, in a good way, in a safe way, and they're, they're actually having fun but learning. They're able to, you know, get a little exercise in and uh, learn about proper nutrition. You know, that's all going in the in the right direction. And, you know, then they go home to their family, and it's important to, to communicate with the parents or the caregivers and do whatever we can to get them involved. We're, you know, we're not a babysitting service. I uh, recently watched a series on HBO called The White Lotus, and it's pretty provocative and kind of like a wild story. But one of the subplots that's going on in this resort in Hawaii with this extremely dysfunctional family that's on vacation, and these these people are out of control and just like in a lot of trouble down to a person. But the young... The youngest child the, uh, the, is, a, is a young man. He's a, probably about 15, 16 in high school. And he's exactly like you talked about. He's screen addicted. He, you know, he, his, it's his phone and his iPad. And meanwhile, he's on this beautiful resort in Hawaii. And he can't even list. Dad's like, hey, you want to go diving? He's like, no, I want to be on my phone. I mean, it was really that bad. And it was very, like, authentic and believable. I kind of feel like I know young people like this. And finally, his his iPad and phone, I think they get, like, washed by the ocean, and now they're broken. And he still makes his parents, like, FedEx a new one in from the mainland. But in the meantime, he doesn't have a phone. And his sister kicks him out of the hotel room, and he's, like, sleeping on the beach. And he meets up with a couple of Hawaiian native guys who are doing the, um, what do you call those those boats with the outriggers? There's a name for it, and I can't think of it. But it's they're like kayaks that have these outriggers, and it's kind of like the Hawaiian how they travel between islands and fishing and stuff. And these guys are going out every day, and they 
have an extra spot for him on the crew and he jumps on and they're doing this big junket where they're going to be traveling around all the islands and they invite him along. And in the end, he becomes so enamored with this and so excited by like the discovery of love of like nature and the world around him that he actually ditches his parents and he doesn't fly back. Like he leaves them at the airport and he runs and he back to his friends and, uh, that he made and and you know I think they go on this big tour that's going to go on for months around the different islands on these on these boats. It was, it, that was a really cool part of what was otherwise like a, a horribly depressing story and testimony about the state of our society. You know, to your point. Well, Robert, um, thank you so much for coming in and joining me on this. Uh, I was really excited to get to speak to you and uh, to hear all your thoughts on what you guys are doing with the Boys and Girls Clubs and really just your thoughts on the subject of Native American youth in general. And uh, it was it was a really cool perspective. So I really appreciate you coming out and coming all the way down to Boca to, to do this with me. And, um, you know, I wish you all the very best with everything that you're doing. And, um, you know, thank you. It was uh, just like great to have you here today. Yeah, well, it's it's yeah, it's been good to sit down and uh, talk about you know what we've done together and uh, apart. Uh, and I just wanted to end with uh, the idea that <clears throat> when I was in high school, you know, circumstances and a lot of different folks created these opportunities for myself and other youth, specifically, you know, setting up like a quote-unquote Indian camp so the city Indians could come and be in a real Indian camp and uh, realized recently that that was pretty influential as to what I was going to be doing, you know, for the rest of my life. And so uh, working with youth is, uh, <clears throat> it can be very technical because, you know, we, we run into learning disabilities and and kids that that don't want to play fair or whatever so but we we've come a long ways in in adding a mental health component to our uh, our club uh, staff and uh, so we've consistently uh, involved the culture whether it be you know crafts um, we we've taken youth out into the wilderness and uh, you know received teachings, native teachings. So we're doing a lot of things, but we're just looking at what what our ancestors and our elders have already done, and and, and probably at the center of all of everything is being humble. And, and encouraging our young people to be humble and and to accept losses, but get up and continue to move on. So, uh, Eric, thank you for having me, and uh, we'll see you down the road. All right, sir.